Oh, let me grab my stand here. It's kind of crazy, you know, not being up here singing and, uh, and seeing Cullen lead worship uh, with his fiance now. That was Katie, in case you guys are wondering. Um, way to go, guys. It's just really awesome to see young people like that just living right, you know, because in the world today, uh, in the world today, there's a lot of young people that aren't really sure how to live. And they're a great example of uh, the right way to do it. So congratulations to you guys. I'm really happy to see you guys uh, leading worship together. Um, so, uh, man, Ernesto's gone, and this is the fullest church has been in like six months. So, <laughs> cool. <laughs> um, uh, like Jarrett said, uh, my name is Rick, uh, Rick Spillers. Usually I sing here on Sunday mornings, but Ernesto's out, uh, he's out pe- preaching at another church. So he asked if I'd be willing to fill in for him. Um, Obviously, I said yes, um, and that's why I'm up here before you today. Um, I, uh, you know, I'm married. I have a wife named Megan. She's sitting right back there. I'm going to embarrass her and point her out. And and a boy and a and a and a daughter, a son and a daughter named Malachi and Rama, back there. Hi guys. Hi. (laughs) They were sleeping when I left the house this morning. and Megan's usually upstairs in the nursery, so many of you maybe don't know her. But, um, but yeah, Megan and I have, uh, we've been married for, we just celebrated our sixth wedding anniversary. And um, it seems, yeah, thanks. It's, it's an awesome thing to, to celebrate something like that. And it seems like the time has gone by really fast, which is a good thing, you know, because when you're having fun, time goes by really quickly. But um, <laughs> there's been a few instances throughout our marriage where there's been some um, you know, some rough patches. I think most people would probably understand that. Um, but one of those instances, it's kind of a funny story I'd like to share with you guys. One of those instances took place last year before the pandemic. So before the pandemic hit, um, you know, we had little kids. Um, so we, even before the pandemic, we really <laughs> never got to go out and leave our house because our kids were always going to bed at like seven o'clock. So Megan and I, one of our favorite things to do in the whole world <laughs> is to pop a bag of fresh Orville Redenbacher's tender white popcorn in the microwave, right? Not movie theater butter, not kettle corn, tender white because it's got just the, the right amount of salt, just a little, t- a little taste of butter. It's phenomenal. And when you pop it in the microwave and you and you pull it out of the bag, it kind of steams up and it smells so good. We loved, and we still do, um, but we, during this time, we really loved making microwave popcorn. And after the kids went to bed, we'd throw in a bag, we'd get a can of Coke, and we'd sit on the couch at the end of every night and we would binge watch, you know, our favorite show on Netflix. It was like our thing that we liked to do. And so anybody who is a connoisseur of popcorns knows that the, the vestibule of choice for eating your popcorn is very important, okay? So if you have too large of a bowl, then your popcorn tends to spread out and get kind of cold. But if you have too small of a bowl, then uh, it kind of overflows and you can't like get your paw down in there and like it kind of messes up the fist to corn ratio, you know, so you can't get like the right amount. And so, <laughs> so the bowl that you eat out of is very important. And I'm sorry, but anybody who eats popcorn from the microwave straight out of the bag is a Philistine because <laughs> when you eat popcorn out of the bag, you are going to be washing butter off of your elbow. That's just how it goes, you know? So um, it's really important what you choose to put your popcorn in. 
Well, around this time, I took a night out uh, with uh, my buddy John Combs back there. We went to see the latest Star Wars movie, <laughs> and he's laughing back there. <laughs> he knows the story I'm going to tell you. And uh, <laughs> I did get approval from my wife to share this story, by the way. So we went to see the latest Star Wars movie, and we walk in, and they have these souvenir popcorn buckets for sale. And man, they are the most gaudy-looking popcorn buckets ever. It's like a big picture of, like, Ray from like Star Wars on there, and I shelled out the extra shekels so that I could get this bucket. And I'm like, I'm gonna take that home, and that's gonna be my new nightly popcorn bucket. It's gonna be awesome. And every time I eat out of it, I'm gonna be reminded of the time I was sitting in front of the big screen, and it's gonna just bring me back, and it's gonna be great. So I take it home, I hand washed it, I shined it up, I set it on top of the fridge. I was really proud of this bucket. And I go to Megan and I say, Listen, Meg, I know that you like all of our tableware to match. I know that you don't like gaudy uh, cups and plates and things with pictures on them like I do because I'm apparently a child and I like to have a picture to look at when I eat off my dish. And so I'm like, please don't throw this away because I want to use it for popcorn. Well, a couple days goes by and we end up getting our, uh, our little popcorn night going again and it hits me, I've got this new bucket, I'm gonna use it. And so I, I throw a bag in, I pop it. it, it fills up, the aroma fills the room. I go to start looking for my bucket and I can't find it anywhere. And I'm like scrambling frantically because by this point, the popcorn bag is starting to deflate in the microwave a little bit because it's getting cold. And uh, I can't find it and I ask Megan, do you know where my popcorn bucket is? And she plays coy, she, she plays a little dumb and she's like, I have no idea. I don't know, babe. <laughs> and so I'm like, I'm like, man, where is that thing? So I'm like, well, whatever. You know, so as the days go on, I'm looking for it and I can't find it. And finally, it strikes me one day and I look at Megan and I go, did you throw my popcorn bucket away? And she just, I don't know. And she just walks off. And I'm like, no way. I specifically asked you not to throw that bucket away and you threw it away. And I just, I didn't engage. I just got really mad. And I was like, that's disrespectful. How, like, how can you do that to another person? Throw away their stuff that they asked you not to, that you, you don't care about what I care about. Like, I got really in my feelings about this. And to her, I, I mean, I bring junk home all the time. Like, I just bring armfuls of junk home every time I go out. And I have these great plans. And then what ends up happening is she cleans up my mess afterwards and, you know, donates most of it. So she thought it was one of those things. So she got rid of it. Well, I got really angry about this popcorn bucket, and for the next few days, I held on to it, and every time we'd go to watch movies at the end of the night, she'd be like, hey, you want to pop some popcorn? And I'd be like, no, nah, I, think, I think I'm just going to go to bed. <laughs> I'm really frustrated about this, and I got really angry, and I didn't want to forgive her for what she did. I held on to that, and at that point, it started to create some issues in our relationship. And that's what I want to talk to you guys today about is forgiveness, forgiveness. So we've been going through the Lord's Prayer, right? Um, we've been going down through the whole prayer. Uh, Ernesto's been preaching on it each week. He asked me to preach the week on forgiveness because obviously that's the hardest and he didn't want to have to deal with it, so pass it off to me. Um, <laughs> no, but uh, as Jarrett read, you know, Jesus is giving the disciples an example. This is how you should pray. These are the things that you should say. Well, I think it's important to understand the situation at the time when this, when this teaching is happening. So at this point in the Bible, in Matthew, Jesus had been going throughout Syria, and he'd been preaching and, and uh, doing miracles, and these big crowds started to follow him everywhere. 
And finally, he gets tired one day, and he gets a little exhausted. He climbs up on his own. He goes up halfway up the mountainside, and he's sitting there trying to get some rest. And his closest disciples, they follow him up there, and they sit at his feet, and they start uh, talking to him. And so naturally, he begins to teach his disciples. And this whole time, this teaching is called the Sermon on the Mount, right? And so he's teaching a lot of different things, and during this sermon, he's teaching about prayer. This is one section of that. And this is interesting because these are Jewish people. These are people that know how to pray. They know how to talk to God, but he's giving them a new way to talk to the Lord. And so there's some differences in the way that he's describing this. Now today, you know, I won't go through the whole prayer, obviously, because we've been doing that, but we're going to focus on that verse number 12. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So we're going to break this down. That first line, forgive us our debts. It's really interesting. Uh, This is instruction from Jesus. He's saying, pray this way. Ask the Lord to forgive us our debts. This is a call for repentance. Jesus is telling us, you have to be willing and ready to repent. When you pray, you always have to be willing to do that. See, and that's the first point, is we, we have to have a heart of repentance as we pray. We need a heart of repentance as we pray. So let's talk about repentance. What is repentance? It's forgiveness for sins, right? We're being um, forgiven when we repent. Uh, the Lord uh, has redeemed us. Just like when he got saved, he, he, he shed his blood on the cross so that we could be sanctified and made new and our sins could be forgiven. So your question might be, why would we need to repent again? Because Jesus is talking to people and he's saying, every time you pray, repent. Well, obviously I'm going to keep praying throughout my life, so why should I repent every single time that I pray? Well, in order to understand why continual repentance is important, we need to look at the book of 1 John, chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. It says, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read an NIV, and this is a different translation, but this is, you'll get the gist of it. It says, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So the book of 1 John is not written to to be read by uh, unbelievers. When John wrote that letter, he wrote it to the established church at the time. So he's talking to Christians like you and me, and he's talking to them about continual confession of sin. You know, even though they've been sanctified through Christ, he's talking about continual repentance. So we need to continually repent because in 1 John it says that God is light and in him there is no darkness. And if we have sin in our lives, that's darkness and we can't walk fully in the light. We can't be fully righteous with the Lord and we can't have true, unbridled, holy relationship with him if there's darkness that separates us that we're still holding on to in our hearts. See, a great way to kind of exemplify this is unrepentant sin causes a strain on our relationship with the Lord. I like to think of this in terms of a family. So I have a daughter. uh, Rama is my daughter. 
Um, and she's little now, but someday she's going to be a teenager, and she's going to want to go out on her first date. And that is going to be a day for sure. I'm really not ready for that, even thinking about that. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we haven't really decided how we're going to handle those things yet. But, you know, I may say I get to go along as a chaperone, you know? <laughs> You know, who knows, you know, and if that's the case, you know, Rama might respond to that poorly, and she might say, that's not fair, that's embarrassing, I don't really want you coming along on my first date with me, and she might say things that are hurtful, like, you're the worst dad ever, you're super uncool when you wear your socks and sandals, I don't want you around, you know, on my date, or she might even say something like, I hate you, you know, teenagers like to be dramatic like that and say stuff like that. So if she says something like that and she creates sin in between our relationship or she creates that rift in between us, then obviously the next time that we try to spend time together, it's going to feel strange, right? It's going to feel like we're separated and it's not going to work. We're not going to be able to grow as closely together as we would have if that hadn't been there. So that's the reason, that's the first reason why we have to repent of sin because it hinders the relationship between us and the Lord. We also need to repent because when we do repent, it reminds us of the gravity of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Every time that you go to the Lord and you say, I'm sorry for the sin that's in my life, I'm sorry I did these things, you are reminding yourself of what he did on the cross. You are taking that moment in history and you're making it paramount in your life again and you're, and you're recentering around that and you're living in awe of that, fear of that moment and you're saying, Lord, I remember what you did. You're giving more power in your life to that moment. So repenting of sin, it, it, uh, it helps you recenter your focus on the cross. It helps you recenter and remember what Christ did. <clears throat> and finally, repenting of sin rids our life of sin. Obviously, if you repent of what you did wrong, you don't do it anymore or you try not to. So it stops us from sinning more. And there's spiritual consequences that come with sin, right? When you repent of those things and you stop sinning, obviously there's relief from those consequences. You're not going to have to deal with those things. So repenting, repenting is really important. Because if you don't repent, it creates a rift in your relationship with the Lord. It creates tension. When you repent, you recenter Christ as the head of your life and you focus on the things that he did through his salvation and it also helps you rid your life of sin, right? So repentance as we pray is a very important thing, and, God, and Jesus makes that very clear through this passage. But it's not just repenting once. You have to continually repent. You have to con make this a habit in your life. So 1 John 8 and 9, the second half of that verse, talks about, let me pull it back up here, Talks, it says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. As we continue to repent, as we continue to confess the things that we've done wrong, the Lord continues to purify our lives and our hearts. And he pulls us back into righteousness and good relationship with him and begins to reestablish that intimacy with him. So not only is it important for us to repent, but it's important for us to continually repent and make that a habit throughout our lives. So we need a heart of repentance as we pray. Now, if we look at the second half of our original verse, 
Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. The second line of that is pretty unique. It's different from the first line. The first line says, forgive us our debts, Lord. This is something that we want you to do. It's a, a future-looking line. The second line, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. When we come into prayer, Christ is saying, you should already have forgiven the people that have wronged you. This should be established already when you come into prayer. So we need a heart of forgiveness before we pray. We need a heart of forgiveness before we pray. So forgiveness, obviously, is one of the hardest things to do in life. Because when somebody hurts you, you know, especially when you're young and malleable and your mind is, you know, still developing, if somebody does something to deeply hurt you, those roots, they can set really deep and kind of mess you up for a long time, right? And you can hang on to those hurts for a really long time or forever in some cases. So forgiveness is a really difficult thing to do. But it's also one of the most important things to do because forgiveness is the, one of the main themes of our faith, right? So Jesus died on the cross to forgive our debts, to forgive our sins so that we can know who the Father is and we can be in relationship with him. It's kind of one of the main points of Christianity. And so when we look at forgiveness, we have to take that theme and we have to break it down and echo it throughout our own lives, it's so important to Jesus that he says that it should be done before we pray. And he goes on in, well, actually, before, a chapter before this in Matthew 5, it says that it should even be done before we give praise, before we give offerings to the Lord. In Matthew 5, 23 and 24, it says, uh, let me see here. Um, it says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there, are, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, first go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. It's so important that God doesn't even want you to bring offerings to him. He doesn't want you to, to step into worship with him if there's unreconciled issues in your life with your brother or your sister. He wants you to seek forgiveness and give forgiveness to your brothers and sisters before you move into that relationship with him. So you might ask yourself, what's the point of forgiveness, right? Why should we forgive? What, what damage can it do to not, forgive, to not forgive each other? Forgiveness frees us from the sins of anger and bitterness, okay? Like I said, when you're a kid and you somebody wrongs you and it starts to grow in you and it, it develops throughout your whole life into something bigger and you're unable to let that go, eventually that turns into anger and bitterness. And it talks about this in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 32. It says, this is how you should handle those, that anger and bitterness. It says, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. See, the Lord calls us to let go of unforgiveness because otherwise it begins to create bad things in our hearts and the way that we view people. And when we let go of those things and we forgive each other and we let go of the anger and the bitterness and the hatred, it releases us to, to worship the Lord, to walk in intimacy with him, to pray to him, to to begin to develop that relationship a little bit deeper. You know, it's, uh, 
it's really difficult to step into the presence of the Lord when you have hatred or anger towards your brother or your sister that's standing right next to you. You know, and the Lord sees that, and it makes it really difficult to walk in the light when you have a little bit of darkness in your heart in that way, and when you choose to hang on to it. But we can't just forgive once and let it go. We have to keep on forgiving. Just like we have to keep on repenting of our sin, we have to keep on forgiving the people who've wronged us. Matthew 18, 21 says that uh, Peter goes up to Jesus and asks Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother when he's wronged me? Seven times? Like, (laughs) seven? That's a lot. And Jesus in his response is like, no, 77 times. I've heard people say 77 times 70 or whatever. There's a lot of sevens in there. But the point is, is that it's not just you hit a limit and then you cut them off and be like, sorry, dude, forgiveness limit met, no more. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. What he's saying is there's no limit to the amount of forgiveness that you give your brothers and sisters. As they wrong you, as people wrong you, because people will wrong you. Yeah, they will. They, <laughs> whether you like it or not. I mean, the reality is, is that your kids might hurt your feelings or your spouse and you might have an argument or your brother and your sister might struggle and you guys may say hurtful things, but you have to continually forgive and, and Christ calls us to always forgive and to put no limit on our forgiveness. Because if we start to hang on to those hurts, those roots of bitterness and anger are gonna start creeping up and over time, they're gonna start building up. So we have to let them go each and every time. So we have to forgive because, again, unforgiveness in our hearts hurts our ability to grow with the Lord and it hurts the relationship we have with him. And we have to continually forgive, always. We have to make that a practice. While we're talking so intensely about forgiveness here, I, I, I want to remind you of verses 14 and 15 that, uh, that Jarrett read. Right after the end of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus talks about uh, forgiveness um, being something that you should do in order to receive forgiveness from the Lord. He says, if you forgive your brothers their sins, then I will for- the Lord will forgive you your sins. But if you refuse to give your brothers of their wrongdoings, then I will not forgive your sins. That's a, really, that's a really bold statement. And it's pretty obvious. We need to forgive if we want to be forgiven, right? That's what it's saying. We need to forgive if we want to be forgiven. And Jesus gives a really clear example of this uh, a few chapters later as he continues teaching. And it's the example of uh, the servants who... Uh, who don't want to forgive or who have issues with forgiveness. The first servant owes the master a great debt. He owes him a whole bunch of money. And essentially, he goes to the master and he says, I can't pay the money. Can you please give me a little bit more time? Can you help me out? You know, because the master wants to throw him in prison, take all, repossess all of his stuff, uh, sell his wife and kids into slavery, and, and recoup what he's loaned to this guy. And, um, and the master has grace on him. The master says, you know what? Your debt is forgiven. Your slate's been cleared. Go on with your life. I'm not going to hold you accountable for it anymore. And it's an amazing moment. But then that servant, um, he walks out on the street, 
and he sees a buddy that owes him 10 bucks for uh, when they went out to lunch last week and he couldn't afford a, a, you know, a Whopper at BK. So he sees a friend who owes him a few dollars, just a small debt, and he goes up to him and he begins to choke him. Like, literally, dude, you're kind of crazy over just a few dollars, but, you know, whatever. He, he chokes the guy and he's like, give me my money back. And the guy begins to beg him and says, please just give me a few more days. I'll do what I can to get you your money. You know, I'm struggling right now. Just give me a little bit more time. And as he's choking him, he says, no way. You're going to jail. I'm going to call the, you know, the guards on you unless you give me my money right now. And that's what he does. He calls, he calls the guards and they take the guy to prison. Well, obviously some people around saw the scene when, you know, when somebody's choking somebody, you kind of, you know, gather around to see what's happening. And some people saw it and they went back to the, to the rich master and they said, hey man, just so you know, this dude that you just forgave, he went over and choked this other guy out and threw him in jail over like five bucks, you know, so uh, just wanted to make you aware. And the master gets upset by this and he's like, you're a wicked servant. You're a wicked person. I forgave your debt and I let you stay with your family. I let you keep all your stuff. And you went out and you threw another man in jail over a minuscule amount of money. What's the, like, why would you do that? And so he says, as a result of that, I'm going to reinstate your debt that is owed immediately. And if you don't pay me, you're going to be tossed in jail. And obviously the guy can't pay him, so he tosses him in jail to get tortured. And that's the story that Jesus gives about unforgiveness. That's the example that he gives, and it's pretty intense. What he's showing through that example is that the Lord forgave us first, so we must follow his example and do the same thing. The Lord forgave you and me, so we should follow the Lord's example and we should forgive our brothers and sisters when they've wronged us. See, if we don't forgive, we're going to be held accountable for that. The verses says we will not be forgiven of our sins. That's a really scary thing, and it's kind of confusing, and it's like, oh, what does that mean? Does that mean I'm not a Christian anymore if I refuse to give this person who, you know, forgive this person who hurt me? What does that mean, the Lord will not forgive us? Now, I think it's important to note that this does not undo what Jesus did on the cross, okay? This doesn't undo our sanctification, and it doesn't undo the grace that the Lord gave to us. It doesn't, it doesn't say, you know, if you don't forgive people, you don't get to come to heaven anymore. And it doesn't cast us out from relationship with the Lord. But what it does do is it seriously hurts that relationship that we have with the Lord, it takes us out of close fellowship with him. Because at that point, it's not just a reaction to a hurt anymore. We're straight up choosing to hold on to anger and bitterness. We're choosing not to forgive, and we're choosing to hold on to sin in our hearts. And when you do that, it puts a wedge between the intimacy that you and the Lord can have together in your own personal walk. Hebrews 12, 14 and 15 talks about this. It says, Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See, he outlines here that if you hold on to that anger and that bitterness and you choose not to forgive people, then, then it will defile you. It will create in you things that are not of the Lord. And it stops you from being able to walk fully righteous and fully holy in the light with the Lord. 
And that doesn't mean that the Lord doesn't talk to you anymore. It doesn't mean that you don't have a relationship with him. And it doesn't mean that you're cast out of his kingdom. But the whole point of Christianity isn't just so that we can be saved and not burn at the end of time. The point is relationship with Jesus. The point is relationship with God. He wants to know us. We want to know him. And when you purposely drive a wedge in that relationship, the Lord can't overcome what you're choosing to do. If you don't want to, if you don't want to have intimate relationship with him, he's not going to force that on you. So you're choosing by not forgiving people and by holding on to anger and bitterness, you're choosing to say, I don't want to grow deeper with you, Lord. I don't, wanna, I, don't, I don't want that closer intimacy. You've got to rip that stuff open. You've got to let it go. And you've got to be able to move into intimacy with the Lord so that he can begin to heal you and make you more mature spiritually as well. See, that's the consequence of unforgiveness. The consequence is separation from his intimacy. It pulls you back from that relationship just a little bit. It makes you walk your days not as close to the Lord as you should be. There's a lack of spiritual growth on some levels and a lack of, a lack of spiritual maturity. You know, it can't, you can't grow and mature at the same rate as if you were righteous and holy before the Lord, if you were to repent of those sins. And so unforgiveness, just as much as other sin in your life, causes the relationship between you and the Lord to have tension, and it causes it to not be as good, and it kind of takes away from that. So this prayer in Matthew 6, it addresses the idea of forgiveness during prayer in three separate ways. We need a heart of repentance as we pray. We need to continually repent and cleanse ourselves and have, excuse me, we don't cleanse ourselves, the Lord cleanses us. We need to continually go to him and ask for forgiveness and, and have him cleanse our hearts so that we can continue to walk with him. We need a heart of forgiveness before we pray. Before we even begin to attempt to further our relationship with God, we need to rid ourselves of the sin of unforgiveness. We need to rid ourselves of those things that would stop us from getting closer with him. And we need to forgive if we want to be forgiven. We can't willingly hold on to unforgiveness, anger, and bitterness because, again, that's going to hurt the relationship if we want to grow closer with him. See, this, this prayer that Jesus is teaching them it's not a guide on how to structure your prayer every night before you go to bed. It's not a guide on how to pray when you first wake up in the morning. It's actually a guide on how to structure your heart and your attitude every single day. Because the Bible talks about how prayer should be a constant in our lives, right? It should be as natural as breathing. It should be something that we do when we're celebrating, when we're hurting, when we're falling apart, when we're lonely. Prayer is something that we do all the time. And what Jesus is saying in these verses is he's saying, because prayer is supposed to be such a big part of your life, you should be repenting and you should be forgiving people almost constantly throughout your life. You should always be seeking to be clean and holy with the Lord, and you should always be seeking to forgive people who have wronged you, because that's how you're going to be able to keep that relationship with the Lord free of anything that would cause tension. 
So back to my story at the beginning about the popcorn bucket. <laughs> so it's, it's important to note here that the issue that I was facing wasn't about the bucket, right? Because the bucket was silly. I was feeling like my wife didn't care about the things that I cared about, or she wanted to purposely just thumb her nose up at me and be like, forget your bucket, I don't care about you. In reality, that's, that's not what was happening. Um, she just thought it was another piece of junk that I brought home. But like I said, I held on to that for quite a few days, and I, re I remember coming into church that Sunday morning, and I was talking to Tony, and I was talking to Ernesto, and I was talking to John, and I told him the story, and it's like one of those things where somebody like really makes you mad, and you're like, get a load of what happened to me this week, you know, and it's like, and they're all like, dang, man, I'd be hot if that was me, you know, I'm pretty sure he probably said that phrase, but, <laughs> you know, and, and they were like, you know, they were talking about it, and and I go up on stage to worship the Lord and to worship with you guys and to sing and to ask the Lord to come and join us. And that morning, the Lord was here. Where two or three are gathered, the Lord is there, right? He was still here. But that morning, within my own heart, even though I'm singing and I'm praising the Lord, there was separation. There was division between me and the Lord because there was sin in my heart that I was holding on to willingly and I was angry about and when I was singing and praising that intimacy of the spirit, that moment of worship that's supposed to be so rich and so vulnerable and so good, it wasn't there. In fact, I'm standing up here and I felt embarrassed. And it wasn't because I you know, messed up a word or something like that, which you guys know happens often, but it was because there was conviction in my heart and there was unclean thoughts. There was unclean uh, attitude in my heart towards that situation. And so I knew at that moment that I was holding on to something a little more seriously than I should. And so I had to repent of that. I had to talk to the Lord and ask him to forgive me. And I had to forgive Megan for throwing away my popcorn bucket. And, and that ended up setting the relationship right. Okay. And then the next week when I came in, I was able to freely worship the Lord and engage with him on a much more intimate level. Now I will go on to say that, um, you know, the last time we went to Florida, I bought a popcorn bucket from Universal Studios and I brought it home and that is still in the cupboard. So she's alive. <laughs> I addressed that one pretty, uh, pretty quickly off the bat and we use it and it's awesome. I love having popcorn out of that bucket. But the point is, is that forgiveness, forgiveness is the key to our own personal walk with the Lord. Okay, it's not about letting other people off the hook. It's not about letting somebody get away with something and just taking the hit. No, it's about your own personal walk because if you hold on to that anger and bitterness, it's gonna, it's gonna cause issues with your walk with Jesus. So both giving forgiveness and on the other end, receiving forgiveness, the repentance aspect of it. These things are both equally important. And their continual application throughout our lives all the time, like Jesus said, every time you pray, do these things. Continually applying those things throughout our life is absolutely critical to growing more intimate with God every single day. If you want to have intimacy with the Lord and you want to grow in spiritual maturity and you want to make that relationship tighter, 
you have to let go of those things. You have to let go of unforgiveness, the anger, the bitterness. You have to repent of sins that might be holding you back from fully engaging with him like I did on that Sunday morning. And so when Jesus gives these directions in Matthew 6, he's not telling you this is how you should pray because this is how I want it done. He's telling you this is how you should pray because this is going to be what brings you closer to the Lord. This is, this is what relationship with me, what relationship with the Father is all about. That's what it's about. He's outlining it there for us and he's saying, do this so that we can know each other better. So with that said, let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you, Lord, for, man, we thank you for what you did on the cross. And we thank you, Lord, that you died and you gave us redemption. Thank you for allowing us to be able to repent, not just once so that we can be a part of your family, but Lord, letting us have the freedom to repent every time that we mess up. Because we do mess up, God. Thank you for giving us the grace to forgive other people when they've hurt us. And Lord, we just thank you so much that no matter what we do and no matter what things life or other people throw at us, Lord, you, uh, you're there. And we can always come to you and we can always make things right and that you'll be there to walk in intimacy with us. We love you so much, Jesus, and we're just so grateful for your kingdom who you are and all you've done. It's in your name that we pray, Lord. Amen.